Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. And in the interest of objectivity, I've let Doomsday Merchant Harry Dent loose on the program to tell us why you should expect another big leg down for stocks. I expect one is possible, but I don't think this next one will be as big as the first. Main reason for that is the government stimulus, what the central banks are doing, all those sorts of things, provided there's no second wave, I think Harry will be wrong in his very scary predictions. Also joining us, of course, is uh, Berman Invest, Julia Lee. Then we'll have the uh, founder of FN Arena, Rudy Philippek Van Dyke. Rudy will be talking to us about some of the stocks he likes. I'll ask him about dividend payers as well, particularly at a time when the banks are going really cheap on their dividends. And then, of course, Paul Rickard and Charlie Aiken will join us, and they'll look at banks and the stocks that they like right now, and also whether they believe that Harry is on the, on the money in being so very, very negative. That's the show, and so put on your seatbelts as I introduce you to Harry Dent, the man who puts a dent in all our optimism, coming up right now. Well, I'm talking to the renowned doomsday merchant and economist, uh, Harry Dent, who I've talked to many years in the, in the past. And he joins us from, um, uh, well, he can tell us where he comes from. It's, I think it's San Juan, but he will tell us where he actually is. But I do want to know, um, given the fact that he has been expecting a, a major market problem for quite some time, if he thinks there's going to be a second leg down, um, and we'll get a whole lot of other uh, takes from Harry as well. Harry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, nice to be back, Peter. Hey, you know, I've been bullish most of my career. I've only been bearish in the last several years because we've got this giant debt bubble. And then when that started to fail in the GFC, they, you know, printed $20 trillion to create a giant financial asset bubble. And now that's being interrupted by the virus. Yeah. Well, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, 2011, you wrote the book, The Great Crash. And that was when, when certainly you nailed your colors to the negative wall, true? Yeah, I started to. I mean, we backed off of that. I mean, you know, because that's when, you know, we had the first crash and then, you know, all the stimulus. So, of course, of course this will bring us out for a couple of years, but we didn't, didn't expect $20 trillion worth. Hmm. And, you know, I remember I got the most bullish again when Trump got elected by surprise here in the U.S. in late 2016 because... That was another gravy train. It was just going to be tax cuts and all that sort of stuff. So basically, the central banks and governments, we've been running a 6% a year, a trillion dollar a year deficit. That's 6% of our GDP just to grow at 2%. So that's how desperately we've been propping up economies for years. But, you know, it, it always takes some sort of trigger to interrupt that. And, and this virus, it, the virus is not the main reason we're going to be in a deeper downturn a year from now. It, it's just a trigger that helps expose how weak the economy already is, especially in the United States and Europe, and especially, especially in China, your big neighbor. Well, I would say, Harry, I know you're a very fair man. And uh, this pandemic has, has made you get right earlier than I think you would have been. Um, and but no, that, that is not true. In see, my news, see, I've done a lot of interviews lately. We were calling for between March and May. By last week, said we were in the final orgasmic phase yep. um, with, with the repo crisis, and it hit. Yeah, it hit yep. about 
a couple of weeks early, but yeah. we were calling for it in early 2020 yeah. in late 2019. I was very clear on that. So don't get me wrong there. People misquote me a lot, okay? Yeah, no, what I'm saying is this, that you know, I even thought, I was telling my financial planning clients that we're gonna go defensive from March to May, but it was the, the pandemic has actually made it a little bit harder than I expected. And in a sense, you know, you have been on the a crash is coming for yeah. genuine reasons. Debt was in our control and it eventually was going to come back to bite us. But I thought we might have a few more months up our sleeve, but the pandemic clearly has uh, underlined our structural problems. So let's get yeah. to the, the big issue because people watching this might say, oh great, Harry's got it right now. But what's going to happen going forward? Do you expect another leg down worse than the first one we got in late February, early March? Yeah, I mean, the, Peter, this is the typical pattern of all major bubbles and bursts, whether it be 29 to 32 or the first tech bubble burst from 2000 to 2002. You get a first sudden crash. And I was predicting this when I said this last year. The first crash will be about 40 percent in two and a half or less months. It'll be sudden and it'll be hard. And then you get a lot of government stimulus and reaction and you get a four to five month rebound. We're in that phase. And that's good news because a lot of people who miss this, I mean, particularly the tech stocks have come back almost all the way. Uh, I think we're going to be back and forth for the next in the summer. Uh, and I think we're headed down now for a while, uh, but not new lows. And what happens is just when people think we're coming out of it, maybe late summer, early fall, particularly with the election in the U.S., and there's going to be a lot of hype and extra stimulus around that, you know, Donald J. Trump. Mm. Um, and, and then you go into the second phase, which takes a little over two years, um, like it did from um, early 1930 into mid-32, and it did from uh, mid-2000 into uh uh, late 2002, you get a longer downturn, and that's when debt deleverages and these bubbles continue to burst. And Peter, what, what happens, and people don't understand this, most of the wealth is in people's brokerage accounts, not even in the bank accounts and savings accounts. Money gets destroyed, and you get a deflationary crisis, not inflation, uh, with all this money printing that everybody's expecting. And it's, it's the worst downturns because that's when you get bank failures, high unemployment and stuff. Now, we're seeing a mini version of that right now. And, and not like 29 or 30 where it took a while to build. This is sudden. The virus shuts everything like the hurricane shut down Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. So, But the pattern's the same. First crash, rebound for several months, and that gives people time to prepare. But, but most people will say, oh, it's over. Um, I'm saying it won't be over. I'm saying... Uh, no matter how much stimulus, and there's a lot, we will not come out of this first crash because the economy is so weak from so much debt and being stretched so far from so long for so much free money. Just that simple. You don't get something for nothing last time I looked, Peter. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but you know, you're old enough and I'm old enough to remember just about every government response to a serious crash. We're talking 87. We're talking uh, to the dot-com crash over in the U.S., and of course GFC, in all cases, the governments and the central banks were hopelessly slow reacting, Harry. And you, yeah. you would know that this response has been unbelievably fast. Could that actually mean that that's the, the curveball that changes the narrative that people like you and I have been used to in the past? This 
fast reaction as opposed to a slow way. Like remember in America, they didn't really start spending until early 2009. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you got to wait. This is this is different. Before, when when the last time like this, a big bubble and a big burst came, we came straight out of the first bubble into a very steep crash, and, and governments there didn't really react at all, except for cutting interest rates. So it just happened. We've already had the first big crash in the GFC in two thousand eight and nine, and then there was a lot of stimulus, and we we're living off stimulus. I mean, people don't get. We've never done this before. We lived on eleven years of straight stimulus. Giant deficits in Europe and the United States, giant money printing, cumulatively 16 trillion up to recently. Now it's over 20 trillion because they're already printed here. What they're doing now, Peter, is they're, they're, they're doing everything right up the front, front loaded. Interest rates are already zero and negative in some places. They've already pledged to infinite money printing and a $5 trillion repo line at the banks. They've done everything at the beginning. So what are they going to do? down the line and, and i'll tell you because because we went through this hurricane in puerto rico where we were dead for three months and that, that the economy's just going to be dead for the next few months everybody agrees with that airlines are down 95 percent hotels 90 cruise ships 85 percent on and on and on you don't just come out of that in a lot of businesses that are already marginal or too much in debt and everybody's too much in debt these days the most in all of history by far by any measure so a lot of business just go under and don't come back. In Puerto Rico, again, with the same hurricane analogy, we were out for three months, and then when we came back, it was slow at first, and 20% of the business, small businesses, never came back, nor the jobs. So That's the problem here. Yeah. So, Harry... They've uh, already stretched it. Yeah. So they can react all they want. You're, you're pushing on a string at this point. Yeah. So, Harry, you know, at this time of, the, of an economic cycle after a crash... The economists start going back to their alphabet soups with V shapes, U shapes, L shapes, W shapes. We even got the swoosh from Nike shape. What are you What are you expecting? Yeah, I, I am expecting the same thing happen in, in the uh, early 30s and in uh, the early 2000s when the tech bubble. Except for the tech bubble just caused a recession, not nothing like a deep depression. We were not in debt at that time. A depression happens when you have too much debt and financial bubbles are out of control. Well, we did have a financial bubble out of control there, but we didn't have a real estate bubble yet in most countries. So we've got a second real estate bubble here in Europe. You guys have the second biggest real estate bubble in the world uh, adjusted for income. Um, only China is greater than you. And, and cities like Vancouver and Toronto and Canada, that did not have a crash last time like the U.S. and parts of Europe did. So we've got big bubbles in real estate, biggest stock bubble ever now, global, and, and now $330 trillion in debt. I think we entered the GFC with, with like $210 trillion. So we have more debt globally and a lot more in the emerging world now. So, so you come to the point where you have so much debt, so many businesses that have been propped up that, again, how long? Well, let's put it this way, Peter. If we could live on just printed money, well, why wouldn't we just do that forever? Why would why would any of us work except, you know, just print money? Uh, oh, the government's print money and pay their bills and, and print money and send it to us. And then we just spend it. And then we work a little bit to fulfill. You can't do it. Yeah. So so at some point you get to zero point. That's my last book was called Zero. You get the point where extra stimulus doesn't work. And, and the key date for me 
it was it was March. Uh, I think it was March March 16th. The Fed just gave the five trillion repo line a another 700 billion pledge short term money printing and bond buying, and a few other things. The biggest three day stimulus pledge in all of history in the markets on Monday went down 15 percent. The markets finally said, hey, you've been printing money forever. We've been growing at 2 percent forever. Now we got a real crisis. I, we don't think this is going to work. The only reason the market started going up because they saw the virus retreating. And that's what happens in lockdowns. Yeah. Now, Harry, you know, being an economist, you know that you, you can't always be right in the time frame you want to be right. Oh, yeah. Uh, nobody. And, and, yeah. and clearly, you know, in the past, you've written books and predicting something like this, but the timing hasn't always worked out the way you want it to. But it's, a, it's a difficult job to do. But the question I, I want you to answer now is what economic statistic are you going to watch to work out whether your you know pretty scary prediction is going to be right or wrong from my point of view being an economist i'm i'm going to be looking to see can america grow out of all this you know excessive stimulation if it doesn't we're cooked you're absolutely right but is there any other number that you're going to be looking for that will either tell you whether you're on the money or this time you're going to have to wait for the for a yeah, you know, the, the depression you're predicting. Well, you know, part of it is just like the stock market patterns because they are, and it, this is as much as it seems like a black swan. This crash was very much like the early the '29 first crash, very much like the 2000 first crash. The rebound is very similar, a little stronger because there's more stimulus behind it early on, as you said. But I'm also watching. I'm looking for deflation, Peter. That's the different thing. Gold's going up right now thinking like they did in 2011 and 12 after the GFC, there was all this endless money printing. And you know, gold finally crashed in early 2013, almost a thousand points, when they realized that even though Japan went on unlimited money printing, inflation kept falling. So I'm looking for signs of deflation, consumer prices going down. We just got an almost 1% drop in April in the US. If the more there's deflation, the harder it is to fight that with money printing. So, so that, that's a sign that will tell me that it's going to be hard to come out of this. When, when you have deflation in prices, it's because consumers are spending less, business margins are lower, they start losing money, and then even with stimulus, it's hard to come out of it. So I'm, I'm looking for signs of deflation and consumer prices in the next couple months. The more there is of that, the harder it is for governments to stimulate their way out of this. And my theory here is they're not going to be able to. Yeah. We'll come out of it some after a few months, but we will not even get close back to even, and we'll start to fail again by late this year, early next year. If we don't start failing by early next year, then I'm gonna really question my, my yeah, assumptions. And, and ultimately, if, it, if America gets good growth, you won't get deflation. So they're, they're, they're two, two sides of the same coin. All right, Harry, let's go to the next one. You did- But uh, hey, but they printed a lot of money here. No. Normally, common sense person say, oh, we're going to have inflation. No, we are not going to get substantial inflation. And we haven't after 11 years of unprecedented money printing, $20 trillion, and we haven't gotten inflation. Yep. So we're now not going to get it. You touched on the fact that you know, Donald Trump was a game changer for you. You went positive after Trump got in. If Trump loses the election, is this going to be a, a bad thing or a good thing for stock markets and the growth of the US economy in 2021? 
Okay. I think it's bad either way, but I think it's worse if he loses. He is pro-business, pro-stimulus. I mean, you know, he came in criticizing the big, fat, ugly bubble, and as soon as he got elected, he is the biggest bubble cheerleader in all of history. He doesn't want any negative talk, no talk about the virus, get back to work, all this stuff. And he's been running huge deficits. Now, but if he doesn't win, uh, uh, John Thomas is somebody I've spoken with in Australia a lot. And, and he and his newsletter, he's in Silicon Valley. And he said the smart money there in Silicon Valley, they're all putting out their IPOs this year. The smart money is assuming after this election, regardless of who wins, we're going to have a crash because the, you know, the big hoopla and the big stimulus will be over and it won't be as intense. So the smart money is looking for it either way. But yes, no question, it's worse if Trump loses. He is very, he, you couldn't be more pro-business and stimulus than he is. Okay, so what investments uh, are you going extra long in as a consequence of what you're expecting for both property and for the stock market? Well, you know, you know the, this first crash was a great quick lesson. We told people in a deflationary spiral, real estate, commodities, stocks, all assets, financial assets go down except for the highest quality bonds so long-term Treasury, U.S. Treasury bonds, 10- and 30-year bonds, the Australian government bonds are very sound. You have the lowest government debt in the world of any major developed country. Those sort of bonds do well. Normally, Peter, AAA, very high-rated corporate bonds will hold their value and go up. See, because lower interest rates are good for bonds. The problem with bonds, if you have a deep downturn, then there's a lot of defaults. Mm -hmm. So the corporate bonds, particularly in the weaker government bonds, don't do well. Well, this time, the Treasury bonds went up 24%, U.S. Treasuries, while stocks went down 35 to 40%. Great. Gold went, as it usually does, up in the early stage of the crack and then went down 10 or 12%. So it didn't protect your money, although a lot better than other things. And, and so stocks went down the worst. And guess what went down the worst, which I was telling Bitcoin people before? Bitcoin is the epitome of this whole bubble, just like the Internet stocks were in the late stages of the tech bubble in 99, 2000. Bitcoin went down the most. So, so really, only high-quality bonds, cash does well because it preserves your money, but a high-quality bond gets a deflation dividend But for yields going down. You lock in a 30-year Treasury bond here in the United States at recently 1.4% and it drops to 0.7%, the bond's going to go up 20, 30% in value, even though it's a very safe investment. So, that's the best place to be, high-quality bonds. They did the best in the crash. So when we get right now, I'm telling people, if you're still in stocks, hold on. They're probably going to go higher. Uh, the, the tech stocks may make a new high. If the tech stocks make – here's a signal I'm looking for, Peter. Tech stocks eke out a new high, but the rest of the major stock indices, including the ASX 200, which is, won't even get close, do not make a new high. That's a very classic sell signal for stocks, and then you get in those high-quality long-term government bonds, not in any government, but, but U.S. and Australia would be two of my favorites okay. for that. La last question, just to sum up then, we're seeing a big uh, uh, crash down of the stock market. Are you expecting the next leg down to be worse than the first or just? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The first, I mean, I, I tell you, you, you would not believe, Peter, I've looked at every major bubble and crash in history, every one. We didn't have stocks before the late 1700s, okay, except for a few in 1720 that all crashed together. Everyone has a similar pattern. They go up exponentially. 
to have this first crash. The first crash, again, is usually two to three months, but the first crash, the, the second crash is usually double the first crash and takes two, two plus years. So I'm expecting U.S. stocks to be down in the end, late 2022, and that's actually a forecast I've had for 20 years, the next big low in the markets long-term, about 80% or more. Um, uh, Australian stocks, probably closer to 60%. I'm expecting real estate to be down 50% in the U.S. and anywhere from 20 to 50 in Australia. This is your first real estate crash, but you are now so overvalued and your banks are so exposed. I do think that's the Achilles heel. Demographics is your strong point in Australia. Our demographics get weaker in the next few years, as does Europe and most of the developed world. So high debt demographics continue to work against. The next crash is a lot longer and a lot deeper. That's why I'm saying this is, the, this is the great opportunity. Get out on this bounce this summer. Last chance. Harry Dent, as I always say to people like you, I really hope you're wrong. But thanks for joining us. Hey, hey real quick, Peter, you know, our, 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 our live stream robertandharry.com. You want to just sign up for that. It is free. We're going to have a whole array of speakers and, and it couldn't be better timing and a better line of speakers. Well, as an intro to you, Julia, uh, I usually run with you first, but this uh, week we put Harry Dent on first because Harry is predicting that Things are going to be terrible. This is your last chance, Louis, to get out ahead after the rebound. And now you, you've never been a, a, a great believer that this is the that you know we're going to keep going up and up. But do you think we're looking at a, at a serious big sell-off of the magnitude of the first one, Julia? Look, I just was never a fan of um, the trajectory that we just see another line back up again. Usually these things take some time to work out. In the case of the global financial crisis, where the market peaked in 2007 and didn't bottom out till 2009, or even the tech wreck in the US where we saw a peak in 2000 and the market bottomed out in 2003. Having said that, you know, two or three years is a very long time in the markets as well. So I'm playing the short-term volatility, but protecting uh, the downside for longer-term volatility. So look, I, had, I do have some puts in place some long-dated cheap puts in place uh, while the market has been rallying to offer protection against another leg down. Yeah, okay. But, you know, I, you've been around for a long time and you've seen, you know, the, the people who predict, you know, Armageddon. Um, do you think that the level of support to the market from central banks has surprised you? I must admit, I've never seen uh, government and central bank support for... Uh, financial markets so quickly ever before. It is huge, the tide of money that's being provided by governments and central banks around the globe. I mean, just having a look at Japan, which came out uh, with GDP numbers today, it's in a recession at the moment. And the, the support that's been offered during COVID-19 equates to almost 22% of GDP. I thought we were uh, mm. going 
pretty hard here in Australia with about 16% of GDP. Yep. But Japan is, is pretty amazing there. I guess with Japan, they have a high level of savings, which can help buffer against crises like this. But one of the things that has provided some support to asset prices is the wave of money coming through with governments as well as central banks. At some point, earnings have to stand on their own two feet, and that's when the real tests will be for companies, whether they can continue to see their value rise without earnings rising or whether earnings are going to start to get their animal spirits going and start to uh, see growth again. But look, I do think it's a recovery of about two to three years that we're looking at at some key industries like the banking space where it probably won't be till 2022-2023 that we see banks get back up to those pre-COVID earning levels. Hmm. But, but I guess at, at current levels, if if people want to take a three or four year view, um, you know, banks could be a reasonable investment for the long term player. You're absolutely right. Look, there's probably some hard times ahead, especially given that the mortgage holidays were about six months. So in six months' time, there's probably going to be a crunch time. But what I try and do when I'm looking at a volatile environment is try and imagine myself in two or three years' time and wonder back at what I wish I would have done in terms mm. of the market and what type of stocks I would have bought. And that helps to clear my mind of the shorter term volatility. Also, when I'm looking at the market, I look at my short term bucket, my medium term bucket and my long term bucket. So I'm obviously adding to my long term bucket, given that some stocks have been way oversold and are looking so cheap. But also I'm trading the shorter term volatility, given that we're seeing some huge moves as well. You're so philosophical when it comes to share playing, Julia. I love it. <laughs> even more of your philosophy. All right, let's move into a couple of things. Uh, our last webinar, we got a question around um, uh, uh, St. Barbara versus Resolution Mining. And I, I said to the guy in question, I know that um, Julia really likes Resolution, but I get, get, a, get you to comment on St. Barbara. Sure. Uh, I mean, my gold stocks have been doing very well. I mean, Evolution Mining is up 20% in the past two weeks. So that's been doing extremely well. But all the gold miners have because we have seen the gold price rallying very hard on the back of all this stimulus that we are seeing coming through and also probably the continued stimulus that's likely from large economies like the US. Not only that, if we have a look at the global financial crisis, the global financial crisis was really in 2008, 2009. And yet when you have a look at when the gold price peaked, it peaked just under that 2000 US announced mark in 2011. So even a couple of years after the global financial crisis, all the stimulus that we were seeing in the money printing and quantitative easing mm. meant that gold prices continued higher. So look, I think gold will continue to be a winner. I have both Evolution Mining and Silver Lake. The reason I prefer Evolution Mining to St. Barbara Mines is St. Barbara Mines has an all-in sustaining cost of producing gold, I think just above 1,400 Australian an ounce, whereas Evolution Mining is about 1,000 Australian an ounce. So it's a cheaper producer. Also with St. Barbara Mines, um, I guess the valuation of St. Barbara for me is really dependent on Gualia, which is its mine here in Australia, expanding production. And it's run into problems in trying to expand production at Gualia, which means they'll probably come in at the lower end of guidance in terms of production. I like Silver Lake because in March it came up with an upgrade to production. So that's really nice to see in an environment where gold prices are rising, 
and then production forecasts are also rising. And I should say, I said resolution, I meant evolution. That was a, what you might call a malapropism, if people know what a malapropism is. Um, now, one final thing, uh, Julia, I always keep coming back to EML for you because a lot of the people at the webinar were, were interested in it as well. Let's just sum up your position on EML. It's been running so hard. <laughs> if you're trying to catch it right now, um, it, it definitely is one of those post-COVID trades which have been really popular. And that's because going into the Christmas season, I suppose retail is going to be very important. And EML is in the area of prepaid cards or gift cards, um, but also in the area of casinos with uh, cards as well. Um, so look, a number of different areas. And as the lockdowns start to be eased, I guess it is a beneficiary yeah. of that area. So look, EML is still, I think, an interesting one for the long term. The other one that I'm looking at at the moment is NextDC. Uh, they've done a capital raising in order to uh, look at another data centre. Mm. But what we found with COVID-19 is that it's really sped up some of these structural shifts, whether it's a move from bricks to clicks that we've seen. Yeah. Um, and in the area of data centres, we've seen a lot more people moving to the cloud as well as businesses, and we're seeing these hyper-customers. And the question is whether some of that um, capacity is going to be wound back as people go back to work. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that uh, working from home, uh, a larger portion of us will work from home a few days a week, and that's going to mean an acceleration and a stickiness of that need for data and data centres like NextDC. So given where the NextDC um, share price is now, you're thinking there's still plenty of upside. Yeah, I mean, I bought into it after the capital raising and it's been doing quite well. But look, it's one of those ones where I look at whether the outlook is improving and it has a structural tailwind behind it. And I think it'll continue to do well. Not only that, we see some of the other data centers over in the US reporting this week, and it's going to be quite interesting to see uh, their results. But really, we are seeing these, um, I guess, these hyper customers, which are really important for these data centers. And next, DC seeing that demand come through as well. So I think it's signed up two new customers over in its Melbourne data center. So as long as it can keep on signing those new customers up and more capacity, I think it's on the right track. And of course, it's riding that structural shift to the cloud, which isn't going away anytime soon. And the CEO is Craig Scroggy, isn't it? Um, I yes. must see him on the, show, on the program. Not only is he an interesting guy, I think he's got a great name as well. Julia <laughs> Lee, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, sir. <laughs>
Yes, yeah, certainly you have often underlined his accuracy problem. Um, <laughs> he, he currently is arguing that the, the next leg down will be bigger and scarier than the last one. Would you, what, would you, what do you think? Do you think a second leg down is likely? And if so, will it be of the same or lesser magnitude or even greater? It depends what, what is the origin, what's the source. But I would argue at this point in time, I, mean, I can see the dangers. There's, there's a lot of debt in the world. Central bankers are using their balance sheet to, uh, to prop up economies and financial system. I can see all that. But it would appear at this point in time that the central bankers, including the Federal Reserve, have managed to calm down a lot of the risks that, uh, that were hanging over this market earlier this year. And at this point in time, unless we get something from, from really from left field, I, at the moment, I don't see it. Yep. Okay, let's move into what you are seeing. And what, one thing that a lot of Australians, people who've, who've followed you in the past, um, you know, are really upset about the banks uh, losing their, their, their passion for paying dividends. What do you think the banks, are the, are the banks a good buy for a long-term mm. investor, Rudy? I hope that people who, um, who are in the banks, who are looking at the banks, I hope they're not blaming me, the messenger, over the years. I, mean, I have nothing to do with this. But uh, all things serious. I mean, I've been writing about dividends and banks uh, quite a lot over the past few weeks. I think people have to realize that um, while they are now missing out on, on their dividends, and, and they will miss out, I mean, the deferred dividends are probably just gonna, not going to come back anytime soon. Mm. But also the recovery in those dividends will be slower than we are used to on the basis of past experiences. For example, in, in the previous bear market, uh, and then I'm referring to, to 2008, 2009, banks had to cut their dividends, but they quickly recovered. And really, really quickly. The next year, they were already, uh, already back going up. That is all else being equal. Probably not a much slower pace now. And, uh, and I think, if anything, people just have to uh, uh, reduce their, uh, their forecasts here and their expectations. But having said so, there are a lot of alternatives available in the Australian share market. I mean, the, the banks are by far not the only ones who, uh, who pay out the dividends. And... Um, um, traditionally, um, I would argue that the, the sweet spot to the share market is when industrial stocks um, offer between four and four and a half percent in yield, and then obviously they grow so that that becomes more over time. Um, at the moment, I would say that that sweet spot has fallen lower to maybe around three percent. Uh, that's because bond yields are lower and share prices have been priced accordingly. Mm. But there are still a large number of industrial stocks and, and, and alternative financials that offer investors between 3 and 4% and have growth under their belt and do not necessarily have to cut their dividends this year. So there are alternatives available. Okay, now obviously you've dangled the, the bait in front of my viewers. The next part of it is, the, is to actually pull in the big fish. What are those companies? Name some names, Rudy Philpeck, Mandela. Oh, okay, okay. Um, amongst the stocks that I either own or they are on my radar, or I have been writing about them uh, to uh, for the subscribers, are the likes of Coles, Woolworths, Brambles, Mcor, Ansel, 
uh, car sales, um, iris, uh, there are more, uh, but that's already quite a, quite a handful, that's a, that's a dozen already. All of those industrials will offer you between three, around three-ish percent, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but none of them is probably likely to cut their dividends this year, and they're more likely to grow their dividends over the years ahead, which means when it comes to sustainable dividends with a favorable balance between risk and opportunity, these are probably in the sweet spot in the market. Mm. So, and do you think that if we get the, the lucky scenario, Rudy, in the sense that um, the comeback of the Australian economy ends up being a little bit better than the doomsday scenario has looked over the last few weeks, if that's the case, do you think some of these companies that do reduce their dividends, they might reward you in terms of better capital gain over the next 12 months? Oh, it's, it's well possible. I mean, the, the irony uh, for a sector like the banks is, is that um, I call it, you can manufacture growth by, by first cutting your dividend really, really hard. And then, of course, by default, it becomes easier to start growing your dividends in the, in the subsequent years. Yeah. And, and if the share market, for example, if the share market in a year's time or in two years' time has a positive view and has a positive sentiment ruling the market, then the fact that the banks by then uh, will be will be likely be growing their dividends might be taken as a positive, even though they will come from a lower level. But the share market doesn't necessarily care about these things; they just look forward. And and so the irony is, bad news this year might actually provide for for good news uh, either next year or the year after. That's that's unfortunately how the share market works, or maybe not unfortunately, maybe luckily. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's your take on dividends. Let me just run through some companies in the past that have been, you know, the Rudy Philippec Van Dyke destroyers. Ones you really like and have done well. Um, I guess Invercare was one of, of, of your favourites. How's it, it going? Was. How's it going? No, well, no, Invercare. This, see, this is, the, this is the thing. I mean, um, there's no such thing as a 100% reliability. Things change, right? Mm. And uh, unfortunately, Invocare was for a very long time a, a, a very solid performer. Mm. But uh, their expansion in the US, that didn't go well. They had to retreat from that. Um, I have to say also, the, the more I found out about that sector in particular in, in recent years, the less I actually like that sector. Mm. I mean, let's, let's face it, if you really want to go brutal on them, um, People are mourning and they're trying to sell them a product and if they can, they try to upsell them as much as possible. Um, yeah, I like them a lot less these days, but okay. uh, I mean, that's the long and the short of it. Okay. Right? Because you're a car racy kind of guy, Babcorp has always been a, a favourite of yours. What's your current position on Babcorp? Uh, I, still, they, I, I still like them. I still own them. Hmm. Uh, I still think there's a lot more upside uh, to, to, for them in store. And, I mean, and a similar thing can be said, for example, for a company like car sales, um, which also is, is one of those uh, sustainable, attractive dividend uh, providers in the share market as well. Mm. Now, one last one. We got a question on our webinar last week, and I instantly re remembered. In fact, I've always loved your pronunciation of Mono, Monodelphus, but it was a great company there and did brilliantly well. And I noticed that your, your great website says it's about a 20% upside, according to the analysts. But what's your view on Monodelphus, so Rudy, at this point in time? 
Monodelphus is, is one of those questions that you have between like, are you going to buy a fantastic house in a, in, a, in a street or in a neighborhood that doesn't look that well? Mm. And, um, and that's the decision you have to make as an investor. See, I've over time decided that uh, the sector of contractors and engineers, for me, is way too volatile and way too much risk, in particular in this type of this, in this type of the cycle. Mm. Um, I mean, something to point out, for example, is that uh, the sector analysts at Bell Potter have now been warning their clientele since February that this sector is prone for a lot of disappointment uh, this year. So. It, their advice is be extra, extra, extra careful if you buy any of the companies in that sector. And I would assume that uh, Monodelphus would be amongst the few that probably stand out uh, with less risk and less risk of disappointment, I think. Okay. Really, Philip Van Dyke, it's always great to tap that wonderful 24-7 stock market brain of yours. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. As per usual, we're catching up with Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report and Charlie Aiken of Aiken Investment Management. And I want to kick off today by asking what they think of you know, Harry Dent and, and people like him who are tipping an Armageddon scenario. That this, and basically, as you might have heard earlier, Charlie said, um, sorry, um, Harry said that you, this is your chance to get out. You know, the market's rebounded, but the next one's going to be a doozy of a big drop. Charlie, what do you think? Well, not an upbeat entree, I think. No, <laughs> not, not quite as bearish as that, Peter. Yeah. I think there's ways of being invested, as I've written in your notes over the last few weeks. Mm. If you're going to have Armageddon, I think we just had Armageddon. If you look back in March, that is as close to Armageddon as I've seen in the market in yeah. a long time. Yeah. But I think, like, I think there's a balance in all this. I think that you know, I think there is opportunity. I think you know, central banks have acted, you know, with massive firepower. Governments have acted very quickly. And the world is slowly, slowly reopening, albeit the biggest problem we've got, as we all know, is unemployment and the mm. rate of those people getting reemployed. So no, I don't believe in Armageddon. I think there's selective opportunity in this. But I think, as we've also discussed, that the, the strength of a handful of big US tech stocks is masking, making the US market look better than it is. Yeah, because we're, 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 we're still in bear territory. Correct. We're back down 23% or something like that, where the Americans are in like, the last well, one well, I read, 15% like down If you look at the NASDAQ, the, the NASDAQ's up, yeah. so that's a handful of big big tech yeah. stocks, that's fantastic. But if you look at the Russell 3000, all the small cap stocks, that's down about 30. Yeah. So I, I look, I think, you know, now I'm not in the, you know, the world's about to end camp. I think there's opportunity in this and that's what we keep looking for. Paul? Yeah, look, I agree with Charlie in this one. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of things I'd say to Harry. He's got an interesting point of view, Peter. I always find what he has to say really interesting. Yeah. I usually, I usually disagree. Agree, yeah. And what I've learned about these guys is that there's a lot more to be had about preaching doom and gloom than there is about preaching If you upside. want to sell books, for if sure. If you want to sell books. So, yeah. look, I'm not slapping that at Harry per se, mm. but uh, we wouldn't probably be talking to him if he was talking about how all, all the markets were going to go up. I, I think also, as, uh, as Charlie points out, the other thing is that um, I think... You know, we've had the move down. I, if anything, the move up has probably been a little bit too quick mm. because I think the, the world's just starting to realise this recovery is going to be hard work. It's not going to be that V-shape. Mm. Some things might be V-shape, but some are going to be Ws mm. and some are going to be Ls. Uh, or swoosh. Or swoosh. Well. So, so, yeah. so, and I, I think as Charlie said, it's been an uneven performance in the US market. Our market, if you took away, you know, again, some of our tech stocks have done well, but also, you know, what's been really surprising is the way that the BHPs and Rios have held in. 
the iron ore price hasn't shifted, anything's mm. gone up, and that's helped our market. We're probably mm. looking a bit better yeah. than what it might have been. Well, even so, that's exactly right today. So today, you know, ASX 200 had a reasonable day, but banks were down. It was all resources, really. Yeah. But, but Charlie, know? isn't a resources, in a sense, like a, a, an omen or a, a bellwether of what's going to happen with the global economy? That when you think the global economy's going to do better, you find resource stocks. But I think this today was specific to Brazil getting more coronavirus. Oh, I see. And the, the, the likelihood of iron ore uh, exports from there being a bit retarded. Mm. So good for Australia, good for the iron ore price. I think that was quite specific to a Brazilian issue. Mm. Yep. But look, I mean, broadly, if you see resource stocks rallying, it's generally a positive mm. cyclical sign. But I would also point out that in America, you're not seeing that with the Caterpillars or Boeings yeah. or anything yet. Mm. You know, so it, it's, it's very it, iron ore centric. Yeah. We're not seeing general commodities, you know, mm. copper and, mm. and the other and metals. They're, and, yeah. and they're not rallying, no. right? It's really iron ore centric. And that's really sort of there with the supply issue with Vale in Brazil. Mm. And, um, which has been going on for a Which has right. been yeah. going for some time. Gus so question. Gus question. And, and, and again, I think as people pointed out, you know, you, you don't want to buy our miners for dividends, but the dividends of BHP and Rio well, are going to pay question. Someone is really disappointed what's happened to banks and they want dividends this year. Should they gamble or throw their weight into Fortescue, BHP, and Rio to try and at least collect the dividend and then maybe go back to the banks you know, in six months or nine months? It's a gamble. Oh, not, not, you won't not with my money. No, I don't buy them dividends. for yield. I buy them for capital growth and yeah. leverage to the underlying commodity yeah. if that commodity is yeah. advancing. Yeah. So, you know, you, if you've bought Fortescue for the advancing commodity, iron ore, you've done very, very well and you've, you've got some nice dividends. And by the way, way, it's your dad's birthday today. It 80, is. 83 today, 83. Dad. And yeah. you once said in my TV show, my dear old dad said about never buy mining stocks, stocks for income. Yield. For yield, that's yeah. right. I, I would point out, look, and I, I do agree with that, but I do think that um, what we do have is three iron ores with, with incredibly good assets and incredibly strong balance sheets. And yeah. so far, they haven't made too many mistakes. What normally happens when you know, when these companies get so much cash is they go out mm. and they buy other um, mines and other new things mm. at the top of the cycle. Yeah, yeah. They've resisted the temptation to do that, Peter. The banks have been really shareholder focused. Well, I think if you look at, look at Fortescue, <laughs> I mean, there's one great incentive, Forrest is going to pay himself. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and that, that has been a... a now you're being nasty. No, it's oh, true though. It's true. You want to invest al alongside entrepreneurs. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Good point, good point. Now, banks, they've been sold off. Now, I wrote a piece today saying that if you're a long-term investor you know, and you believe that the, eventually the Australian economy will come out of this and, and come back, that there's are probably good buys. I looked at CBA during the GFC, got down to $28, mm -hmm. eventually went up to about 90-something and yielded last year was about 17% poor with franking credits. You know, for people who are long-term investors who have never invested in the stock market before and are prepared to be like, they've got time to, on, the, on their side, are these banks good buyers? Well, I think they are. I just don't think you're going to get much short-term no. rally because I think sentiment is still pretty negative. Yeah. And if the market gets concerned about the virus, they're going to sell the banks first almost. But, you know, I mean, Nat, to give you an example here, Peter, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the book value um, mm. metric, right? Mm. But NAB's book value at the moment adjusted for its most recent issues about $17.13. Mm. It's trading at about just over 15. You can buy it in the share purchase plan at $14.15. It's about an 80%, it's trading about 80% of book value. So you can buy $17 for $15. Yeah, <laughs> historically, banks below book value have been good buying. Okay. Right? So well, I think a nice to, rule I think, of thumb. You know, that doesn't mean they're not going to have some more no. bad debts. I, I think you've got to be patient. Mm. The market at the moment doesn't want to buy them yet. So when the market sells off, it mm. almost goes hard on some banks and they dribble back. So yeah. it's still, you know, sentiment takes a while to turn around. Uh, I, I think they're good value, but I'm just saying 
don't expect a great short-term gain. Short term. And this is a time to accumulate. Be greedy when others are fearful. Right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie? Yeah, look, I don't disagree that there's value in the sector. There's yeah. no doubt there is, I'd say. But for me, I've got to see a sort of pathway to that value being released and some growth coming back to those businesses. Yeah. Yeah. The moment we've seen Commonwealth Bank sell assets to try and shore up its balance sheet, things like this, we're still in a bit of a scramble now. Mm. And look, but I don't doubt that if five years from now you believe in the Australian economy being back to use, back to normal and unemployment being down, yes, those share prices, they will look, in hindsight, good buying. Yeah. But I think with, I'm with Paul, you're going to have a few, there's going to be plenty of down days and plenty of plenty more little hurdles in this, yeah. this, this event, I'd suspect, and I think you've got time. Okay, and then the beauty of the, of the old days was that the dividend was stronger. Even when they cut the dividend, it was still much stronger than it's going to be in the next year or so. Yeah, and one other thing, I think this will also will help banks. I mean, one, one of the positives that will come out of this, if anything, it's going to make life for some of the fintechs just a little bit harder, mm. right? Prices have come down for some of those companies. You know, they're going to be, there's going to be some opportunities for banks to pick up technology. There's still going to be a lot of pressure. They've learnt that they've got all these branches that are sitting there largely idle yeah. and businesses carrying on. There's still a huge opportunity for banks to actually do something on their cost yeah. base, right? Yeah. And, and so they, they can actually, mm. despite being pretty growthless at the moment, there's mm. still an upside. But it's just going to take a little while, and the good ones will get focused on. Okay. I mean, now, the main thing is, though, like the main thing in the very short term, I agree with that. There's a cost out story potentially. Oh, yeah. I don't even know why they have branches, mm. but it's you know, to me, it's all about unemployment. Mm. We've got to see that unemployment rate start coming down for banks to perform. It's as simple as that. Eighty yeah. percent of their business is mortgage yeah. lending. Yeah, and, and my yeah, argument and is I, based I we have on to start that this that. this comeback we we better than June's merchants mm. are predicting. One last thing, Charlie, um, a, a foreign stock, a U.S. stock that you haven't told us before, yep. that you're keeping an eye on, or you've recently bought? Well, thankfully, you gave me a bit of warning on this one, like, <laughs> yes. this morning Precisely. rather than right now. Well, it's been really interesting for us because of the nature of this close down globally. Um, businesses that service cafes, restaurants, pubs, etc., have been, which are usually consumer staples business, have been really hard hit because they're yeah. trading like consumer discretionary mm. stocks. So one that we've recently added to is actually the Coca-Cola company in North really? America. The syrup owner, yeah. because they yeah, have been Warren just Buffett's favourite or second favourite. Yeah, 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 he he has about ten percent, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. his recent show, yeah. Uh, yeah, who he had he, a can of coke. I did. Did he drink it? He may have. I he think, I, it sat there probably the whole time. I know, I think millions one, of views, right? Yeah, there was one time. <laughs> but if you think he, about he, it, Coca Cola and other stocks like that have been disproportionately hit by on-premise restaurants and uh, on-premise yeah. mm -hmm. and restaurants being shut. Yeah. I think as that slowly opens with ten people, twenty people in restaurant, I think Coca Cola is a good business, is taking market shares, got great margins and yeah. will be around and also has leverage to, you know, healthy drinks like water and, and sports drinks, which have yeah. got a bit of a growth angle. So that's one I've been nibbling at. Okay, Paul, anyone you, you've recently... Look, um, Zero reported last week. The market sold off on it. I thought Zero's was, report was okay. It's actually mm. back in earnings. Uh, it's actually, you know, it's still getting pretty good at growth. There's still tailwind supporting that sector. I think that one of the things we've, we've learnt out of the whole um, COVID-19 thing is that uh, digital companies are just going to excel because everything's going digital. Uh, they've got a, a great product that's used in three continents, um, mm. and you know there are a lot of tailwinds to support that. So yeah. I think that, that that's still got a great growth story. Um, it is back up near eighty dollars, Peter. You've got a, but it's 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 a mm. great stock for your portfolio for the long term. I think. Okay, stuff. So that's Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report and Charlie Aiken from Aiken Investment Management, who also writes on the Switzer Report as well. That's the show, but before we go, I've got something I want to share with you. And before we go, I'd like to tell you about the Switzer Fear, Greed and Hope Survey, which is a quarterly gauge of how Australians are feeling about stocks, 
property and the economy right now. We want to know your opinions along with your hopes and fears for the future and how these have changed since our last survey three months ago. Just head to switzer.com.au slash surveytv to complete the survey now. It only takes two minutes and you can enter the draw to win a signed copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. That's the Fear, Greed and Hope survey at switzer.com.au slash surveytv.